Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 84th episode of the podcast. 84 is a really big number, and I appreciate you for listening, for subscribing, for downloading, for leaving ratings and reviews on iTunes. That is very, very helpful as far as getting the podcast out to more folks. And I also appreciate emails and trips on social media and comments on the website. All that stuff is great, and it has led to some really cool things and some great ideas for the podcast, as well as articles on castingacross.com. So uh, if you feel at all inclined to reach out, I'd encourage you to do so. I will take time out of my schedule, which, depending on the day, depending on the time, could be busy or not, to respond to that, I promise. So for this 84th episode, I want to talk about some fly fishing minutia, but at the same time, something that's essential in fly fishing, and that's fly boxes. Now, I've talked about organizing fly boxes. I've talked about what flies I carry all the time. I've kind of covered some of those things, and the fly box is almost an afterthought, but it's really important if you think about it. Now, you could be of the school of mind, which says that anything that holds your flies is good enough. Grandpa only had one option for fly boxes, and it worked for him. In fact, he just used a old little uh, cigarette tin or something like that. Well, that's not where we are anymore, and it's not like it's an enormous purchase. I mean, you can spend a lot of money on a really fine fly box. Some of the metal ones are very pricey, and there are some custom-made wood fly boxes that are incredibly expensive, but... Most fly boxes are going to be in that 5 to $25 range, with most of them being on the lower end of that. So you really do have an opportunity to get exactly what you want for the kind of flies that you're carrying and for the situations you'll be carrying them in. So this is preference. I think there's some empirical data to back up my opinions, but at the same time, a lot of it is preference. What do you like to carry? What do you like to fish? What size flies you're using? So this should just be taken as my opinion. Some guidelines from using lots of different fly boxes over the years. Some that I've liked, some that I have not liked. Some that have been great successes and ones that I've wept as they have ceased being useful and others that I couldn't get rid of fast enough. So the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to go by fly type. I'm going to go through a handful of different major fly pattern styles and talk about what I think the best fly box for them is. Now, all-around fly box. Let me start there, actually. If if you're going to have one all-around fly box, I think the best all-around fly box is a double-sided 
foam combo box where one side has ripples and the ripples are that um, kind of wave shape where it's a gradual incline and then almost a 90 degree drop off um, where you can put your fly hooks in the top of that and there's some clearance on both ends of the fly but then the other side is flat. Now this probably isn't an ideal saltwater box but for virtually every other situation including bigger warm water flies having the flexibility of a rippled foam side on one half and a flat foam side on the other half gives you all the flexibility you need to carry any kind of fly that you can fit into the box and they come in all sorts of sizes there's tiny ones that are smaller than a cell phone and huge ones that you couldn't fit in a vest they'd have to sit on a boat bag or something like that so that would be my choice for an all-around fly box it's a great beginner box it's the it's an it's an easy way to get started um, it's the box that I bought like I said for all of my kids for their first fly box because you can put little panfish poppers on one side and you can put big buggy dry flies on the other side and the hackles are gonna be protected and they're all gonna kind of fit together well as long as the box is constructed such that there's enough clearance between the sides. It's a great all-around fly box. But again, the whole point of this podcast episode is to talk about specific styles of fly boxes for specific styles of flies. So we'll start with the easiest one, which is nymphs. And this, again, has to do any size that you can think of. Really big, buggy, you know, size six and eight nymphs, all the way down to the little teeny tiny stuff, all the way down to midges, really. So your, your 20 and 22 and sub 22 size midges, things without hackle on them. Slotted silicone. It is the easiest to use. It's the easiest to organize. You don't have nymphs that roll over. I feel like more than any other pattern, I want to see all of my nymphs uh, oriented in the same direction when I'm looking at them. Uh, that allows me to quickly identify the thread color if I'm using thread color or maybe a uh, UV resin to signify how much weight is on them or I can see the bead quickly I can see them lined up one another um, front to back so I can know what size they are just a very quick and easy way and without hackle to worry about you slide that hook into the silicone slit and it stays exactly where you want it and they are lined up just in the order that you determine so obviously Tacky brought the silicone fly boxes into prominence. They're now owned by Fish Pond. And there's another of other manufacturers that make silicone boxes, but the traditional slitted or slotted, whatever you want to say, silicone boxes are excellent for nymphs. You don't need a lot of clearance. And even if it's tight in between the top of that silicone mat and the bottom of that lid, you're not really causing any damage if it's a tight fit on the lid and your fly. So it's very simple in my opinion. Nymphs, slotted silicone. Now dry flies, this is where it gets tricky. I would say the ideal fly box for dry flies is little compartments with doors. So you might be thinking of one of those old timey metal boxes which are actually really still in use a lot today. They're not as popular because they are more expensive and they just kind of look a little bit old and cumbersome. But if you want to protect the hackles on your flies, that's a great way to do it. By dropping each fly or two or three flies in each one of those little metal compartments and then closing the door, what it allows you to do is have a fly that is not being smashed in any way. It is resting comfortably on the inside of that compartment on the tips of the hackles or the wings. And then by having those little doors, when you pop open one door, 
you have access to that fly and a stiff breeze isn't going to send all of your nice little dry flies flying. Those compartmentalized with spring hinge door boxes are, in my mind, the best for dry flies. But in complete disclosure, I don't use them. I don't use them because they're a little heavier, they're a little more expensive. I do get kind of skeeved out at the idea of having moisture in them and some of those little spring hinges getting rusty. So I've used them in the past. I currently don't use them. What I do use for my dries is Ripple Foam. Um, I've messed around with the silicone boxes that are designed for dry flies and protecting the hackles. I'm not a huge fan. I still think for smaller, you know, not not super tiny, but uh, 16, 18, it gets a little bit too close for comfort. But I can uh, put the very tip of the hook into the top of a ripple foam uh, insert and protect the hackle of my fly. And if I have a fly, something uh, like a, um, a renegade or a stimulator, then I can put it in there and I'm not going to have the hackle on the back side of the fly getting smashed. I mean, most caddises are caddises, caddis? Yeah, that's plurals, caddis, are going to have a hackle that runs down the majority of the fly also. And so I really haven't been a huge fan of the silicone boxes that are specifically designed for dry flies either. So I just like sticking with my ripple foam and I can put them in at different angles based upon how the fly looks. And now, let me make a quick excursus off of that point. This might sound incredibly ticky-tack to you. You might think, why are you worrying so much about how your hackles um, are oriented in the box if you're just going to cast it in the water and it's going to get wet? Well, it's true. After you fish a fly for a while, those hackles are almost always going to reorient themselves properly, but they might be waterlogged by the time you get to that point. And you can even have some, and this might be because of lower grade feathers or something like that, where they don't get uh, properly oriented and, and nice and pointy and straight and riding like they should. If you're fishing pressured water and you're fishing over fish that are going to be particular, you want that fly to ride like it's supposed to ride. You want those hackle tips to just be on, on that surface of that water and just riding down nice and smoothly. You don't want that fly keeled over so its wings are upside down because um, the bottom is smashed and it's not going to be riding right. You might not have to go as far as getting a little metal fly box with compartments for every fly, but something like a ripple foam box does give you the ability to protect those hackles a little bit more and allow those first and second casts to be a little bit better. Again, that's just my experience in my opinion. Within the dry fly category, there is another fly that I think qualifies for a special category, and that's tiny dry midges. Everything from Griffith's gnats to just your traditional midge. And for those flies, and I've said this before on the podcast, I like using those little kind of clamshell style boxes. They're a little hard plastic. They look uh, like a like a like a makeup um, c container compact thingy. And when you pop it open, there might be four or two compartments on either side and they have little plastic doors. So you're totally missing the whole metal hinge situation, but you're getting that protection from the wind or from you moving around where all these tiny flies could easily get disrupted and, and you could lose them. 
but most of these boxes also have curved sides. So if you have a really tiny fly, you're not having to reach in and pinch. You can just reach in with your finger and poke and slide one up to the edge. So for my tiny midges, my 22 and smaller dry flies, I have some of those little hard plastic fly boxes that have little compartments in them. And they're very small, smaller than a cell phone, but I think they do a great job. Um, they are not watertight, um, which again, I like because those small hooks, I do not want moisture hanging in that box. Even if I think that everything's dry, whether because I take a spill or it's raining or I put a fly back a little too soon, I don't want a size 26 hook getting exposed to moisture needlessly. So the fact that these are ventilated, uh, I, I really think is, is the way to go for these tiny flies. All right, talk about nymphs, dries, tiny dry midges. The next is streamers. Now, this conversation can be scaled, whether it's a big streamer or a little streamer, you know, a saltwater streamer or a freshwater streamer. I like using slotted silicone again here, but slotted foam works also. So one of the downsides for slotted foam for your small flies, like nymphs, is that it doesn't have as much tension as the silicone. But when you get to streamers, you have a wider hook. It could be a wider hook just because it's a bigger hook or because you're fishing something that's gonna be moving and you're usually going to have an aggression strike, not necessarily just a normal feeding strike. The fish aren't going to be as opinionated when it comes to the hook coming out of the bottom of the fly. So you're using a heavier gauge hook. So because of that, the foam is going to grip that hook a lot better um, than a small fine wire hook would be gripped. A lot of times you're talking about maybe one fly being dislodged as you're bouncing around throughout the course of the day. But again, if you have the choice, then use silicone for the nymphs and use the foam larger boxes for streamers. I also like to use wallets when it comes to streamers. And I, I'm going to get the fly wet. It's going to get submerged. Any hackle or any sort of feathers sticking out at weird angles are going to get wet. And the intention of those feathers is that they move. And so it's not like a dry fly hackle where if it gets a little bit smashed, a little bit compressed, it's going to be problematic as you cast. For streamers, having those feathers smashed down a little bit isn't going to hurt. And most fly wallets, whether they be, you know, waxed, canvas with a wool interior or they be nylon with the velcro interior which i really like using they are not going to smash your flies on their own they're only going to get smashed if you put them in your back pocket or they you you compress them somehow there's enough rigidity in the design of the fly wallets that's going to offer a little bit of cushion um, even the the wool itself has enough variation in the texture that there's going to be some protection for those those feathers. But I, I don't think it's that particularly important. But I like using those because you can fit a lot of flies in there, and they you get that uh, ventilation uh, because they're open on the ends, so you have airflow moving through. It's also super easy to dry them out. It's easy to select them. You don't have to find a place for them. You just stick them in there uh, using the either the wool or the velcro. And you just slide that hook in there. And and you're, you're good to go. So I really like using streamer wallets for my trout streamers and for my saltwater streamers and then everything in between. For my tiny streamers, like if I'm, I'm doing trout fishing with really small streamers on smaller streams, which I really enjoy doing, so we're talking 10 and smaller, there I will definitely use a slotted foam or silicone box because again, they're really, really small. They are going to be more prone to coming out or dif more difficult to remove from something like wool. 
than a larger wire hook. I would even say that one of the dangers of using a fly wallet, and you may have uh, experienced this before, if you have any moisture on that hook and you put it back in, if it's a fine wire hook, when you go to pull it out, I have had hooks break. That's why I kind of am moving towards using more of the Velcro lined streamer wallets. So that's streamers. The last major category is poppers. I'll use wallets for poppers also. I think it's a great way to store some really clunky shaped flies, specifically because there's some poppers that are really tall, some saltwater poppers that are really tall, some bass poppers that are really tall. Uh, and so it's, it's a good way to have a box that accommodates all of your different poppers. But I think that conventional fishing tackle boxes are a great way to carry poppers. Everything from pan panfish poppers all the way up to big, chunky saltwater poppers. And uh, it's going to offer a little bit of hackle protection. And for panfish and bass poppers, having that hackle be the way it's designed uh, does matter a little bit. Because if you're fishing poppers right for bluegill or for bass or for any warm water fish, then having that thing sit still and allowing those hackles and those rubber legs to kind of work their magic as that fly is not moving because of your retrieve, that's the way to fish them. And so not smashing those by just dropping them in a compartment from a little Plano box. That's the only brand I guess I'll, I'll mention, you know, or any sort of compartment box is a great way to keep them um, separate from one another and to keep their hackles a little bit uh, more intact than smashing them up against foam. But I go both ways with poppers. I put some in wallets, especially my bigger saltwater ones, and I will put my freshwater poppers in conventional little plastic tackle boxes. So those are the main fly categories and some of the boxes that I prefer to use. This isn't hard and fast. Um, I have like my uh, egg flies for steelhead and some of my steelhead patterns in a box that has just ridges of foam. It's, it's almost like a, a, a grid. And um, that's great because there's nothing to protect in there. It's really just more about keeping them in a line with each other so I know how many pink eggs I lost in a certain day and so I can replace them easy. You can do the same thing with uh, slotted uh, silicone. I uh, have other boxes that are double-sided foam but flat on both sides and I'll use those for some of my hard-bodied saltwater patterns and even some of my deer hair bass bugs that uh, just really I'm looking for something that's just not going to smash my flies and so it allows some clearance between the top and the bottom of, of the box. A couple other things to think of with fly boxes and this again might be getting in the weeds and you might be thinking this is a little bit too much to think about but again this is not a, a huge expense so if you can find really the perfect box or a series of perfect boxes then I think you're, you're in a good place. I like the floating fly boxes, and I've mentioned these a lot in the podcast. And these you can get foam, either ripple or combo or flat on both sides. And they are all foam with kind of that woven nylon exterior. And they're indestructible. The only time these things fall apart is when you use them so much that the hooks tear up so much the foam that they're not simple to use. Or the hinge, which is just a kind of a, a nylon sheet, rips. But they're so cheap. They float, and uh, they, they, they work really, really well. I love those. They also often are ergonomic. They're curved. And you can find other boxes that are like this, but this is great, especially if you are just throwing a box in a jacket pocket or in a shirt pocket or if your sling pack or your vest is a little bit tighter and form-fitting. You don't want this rigid, hard, plastic 
sheet up against your body that is going to be uncomfortable. And so those floating foam boxes, along with a couple other styles, are ergonomic. They're a little bit curved, and they fit really well into a pocket. Because you think of a pocket, whether on a sling pack or a vest, again, you look down on your person, that pocket gets curved because of the way it fits on your body. So that's helpful. Waterproof fly boxes. I am not a fan of waterproof fly boxes. And it has nothing to do with my flies getting getting wet. It's about me potentially putting a wet fly back into my fly box too early and introducing moisture into a sealed environment. And so I would prefer to have all my flies soaking wet because I've fallen in or because it's raining or whatever. And then I just know at the end of the day to open that thing up and let it dry really well. It just, to me, it seems safer, more controllable. And when I have used waterproof fly boxes in the past, I have ended up leaving them open after a day of fishing just because I assume that there's moisture in there because I've been on the water and my hands have been wet and all those things. More often than not, these days I'm using a fly trap, which is a cool little gadget I talk about a number of times, and, and on the website you just Google fly trap and you'll you'll see uh, some of the things I've written about it. But it's a silicone tube that goes onto a tippet bar for to oversimplify it, and you run your flies through that and it keeps them secure. And then you replace the silicone tube after it gets uh, really chewed up, but it takes a long time for them to get chewed up. Really, I think those are important because whether you're using a waterproof fly box or not, drying your flies on your person while you're fishing is the best way to dry them off, protect them, and protect all of their friends back in their box when you put them away so you're not introducing moisture. And, you know, usually if you fished a fly during the day, there's a good chance you might come back to it. If not that day, then, then soon thereafter. So it keeps it right on hand. Fly boxes. Do you have anything that you absolutely love? Anything you absolutely hate? I know I didn't trash a lot of things except for waterproof fly boxes. And and even then, I know there are some waterproof fly boxes I've not tried that I'd be willing to try. I just I'm very content with what I have. But is there anything that you found that works? Is there a system that you found? Um, I am at the point now in my fishing where I like to have lots of fly boxes because I don't carry anything but what I need. And so if I know I'm using that style of fly, then I'm happy to have a box devoted to that. I'm not trying to cram every box full of every fly so that I can carry everything on the stream with me. It's just, um, I did that for a long time. It's just not worth it. It's not worth carrying all that junk with me. So let me know if you have any thoughts about fly boxes. This week on castingacross.com, the first article is called Floatant Before and After You Cast. In this article, there's two videos. I'm trying to do a little bit more with video. And it covers nine different floatant products. I said, I didn't even know there was more than one floatant product. Well, if you think about it, these are things that you are already aware of. Um, just traditional floatants as well as drying agents. And I walk through how I use them in different circumstances. And like I say in the video, I'll never carry nine floatants on my person, but I will carry two or three because there are some circumstances that benefit from having a particular floatant or combination of floatant products. So check those out. They they feature nine different products from Loon Outdoors, and I really like their stuff. And then Wednesday, I wrote Leaving Fish to Find Fish. It was a kind of a, a story about me as a teenager just getting antsy from being on the same stream too much and the kind of silly move that my buddy and I made to go to a different stream and how it really didn't yield much 
but it was a learning experience. So leaving fish to find fish. This week's recommendation on the podcast is Pirate Fly Fishing's Fly Patches. They have two fly patches. One's called the Pirate's Fly Patch, and the other's called the First Mate Fly Patch. I would encourage you to go to PirateFlyFishing.com, and there you'll see both of those patches. You can also go to CastingAcross.com, where I have a review of each of those patches. But the Pirate's Fly Patch is great for putting on the visor of your vehicle so you're not tearing up your upholstery as you put flies from that day um, somewhere in your car. Or I have mine mounted in the back of my vehicle. And then the first mate fly patch is a similar thing, only it has really strong magnets on either end and a Velcro back. So that is one that I will take up with me and put by my fly tying bench. And as I tie stuff, I'll put it in there to dry. And then I'll take it down and I'll put it by all of my fly boxes. And then the next time I get ready to go out, I'll take all of the tied flies off of my first mate patch and put them onto my uh, my boxes as as needed. But both of these products are great. You can use them in so many different ways. They go in my house. They go in my car. They've even gone on the water on the boat with me, and they can take a real licking. My Pirate's Fly Patch must be five years old, and it uh, still looks as good as it did. There's a couple places where some huge saltwater hooks have been sitting in it for a long period of time where you can tell there's a little bit of a dent, but uh, they're incredibly durable and great products, good gifts, uh, and great things that you will absolutely find a use for. But go to castingacross.com and there you'll see a link to pirate fly fishing as well as my particular reviews for those two fly patch products. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv join captain justin leak and meredith mccord for the best fishing action along panama city beach tune in to chasing the sun every sunday at 9 30 a.m eastern on waypoint tv